Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiatives podcast. I'm Oliver Hartwig. I'm joined today by our chief economist, Eric Crimpton. Hi, Eric. Good morning. We want to talk about your latest newsroom column, and this column is evidence that you would have had a good opportunity of becoming an investigative journalist if you hadn't chosen an economics career, because what you have done here in your column is a piece of investigative journalism of the finest sort. You're documenting how government actually bungles through decision-making processes. And this is all about the government's fuel rebates that they introduced in mid-March, and you wanted to figure out how that actually came about. At what stage did you suspect that something wasn't quite right and not the normal policy-making process? Well, I'm not sure that it isn't the normal policy-making process. It was pretty clearly a shambles, and I worry that it's a little bit too often this way. It's just not documented. But if everybody will remember back on Monday, the 14th of March, the Prime Minister had a press conference after, after Cabinet, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, where she announced that New Zealand was going to be doing a fuel tax holiday to help deal with rising cost of living. The war in Ukraine had started just a few weeks prior. Oil prices had been through the roof. They'd actually started coming down a little bit by the point that she announced this, but Labour had taken a substantial hit in the polls. They seemed to be in a we-have-to-do-something kind of phase about this. And other countries were already talking about that as well. Yeah, I'm not sure on the timing on who was first to put one of these in place, but there it was sort of in the air. Yeah. And she announced that they're going to be doing a petrol excise rebate. For three months. For three months was the announcement. It's now been extended for yep. another three months. Mm -hmm. But the discussion on it, it seemed pretty obvious that they hadn't really thought through any of the real basic challenges that were going to come in on this. Given because there were questions in the press conference of the prime minister. Yeah, so they, she was providing some of the details. She was getting some questions from journalists. And it became very clear, at least to me, very quickly, that they hadn't really thought through anything in how this relates to diesel and road user charges. So a petrol excise rebate is a stupid idea, but at least it's feasible. You can think about how to do it. You reduce the amount of tax for a limited period of time. You might want to put in some measures that are ensuring pass-through because if it was this giant supply chain blockage that was causing the run-up in prices, like normally you would expect that moves in excise just pass through entirely to consumers, whether it goes up or down. It might take a little bit of time, but it doesn't take that long because New Zealand is basically a price taker in the market. We're a blip in the ocean and it really doesn't matter. When everything's all bunged up, if you change excise by dropping it, well, demand increases and you've got these supply bottlenecks, you might worry about pass-through. So you'd have to do something about that. That may be complicated, but it was feasible and you could think about how to do it. We can talk about a little bit later about why the whole thing is just a dumb well, maybe, idea. Maybe we just go back to the basics just to explain sure. a little bit. So when you buy petrol in New Zealand, you pay for the roads with your petrol excise. Yep. When you drive a diesel car, it's different because That's right. you have to purchase the miles in advance. The basic setup for New Zealand, it makes sense. We probably want to tweak it now and get everything over onto road user charges, but the basic structure, at least historically, made a lot of sense. Effectively, petrol excise is a road user fee. So petrol vehicles do not vary that much in weight. They do not vary that much in the burden they impose on the road. So they loaded the costs of funding the roads, both maintenance and road policing and enforcement and road construction, onto road users through a petrol excise levy that funds the National Land Transport Fund that goes back into funding the roads. And that's by and large fair. Well, by and large. It's been muddied and messied lately because they 
fund trains out of the National Land Transport Fund now, but they also have dedicated funding lines going into the National Land Transport Fund for trains, and it all gets really messy to try and blur up accountability. But the basic structure makes sense. You want road users paying for the roads. You don't want other people paying for the roads. But with diesel, diesel, it's complicated. Because my Mazda CX-8 is about as burdensome on the road as a Mazda CX-9, which is petrol. Right, my diesel same as same as a petrol vehicle, but it's diesel. If you put an eighteen wheeler with many, many, many more tons of weight onto the roads, also using diesel, it imposes proportionately a lot more burden on the roads for maintenance. So you've got this complicated structure through road user charges where you pay per kilometer, which totally makes sense. And the amount that you pay per kilometer depends on the weight of your vehicle because that is a rough proxy for the burden on the road. Yeah, the burden on the road is exponential, I think, with the weight, right? Yeah, so that all makes sense. That all works fine until you decide that you want to run a holiday on excise for a little while. Now, the holiday never made much sense because you still have to fund the roads out of somewhere, right? It's a user fee for the roads. The roads have to get paid for one way or another, so there has to be some way of dealing with it. On RUC, well, you buy your road user permit and you can have, well, you buy them in units of 1,000 kilometers. At the point that the excise rebate had been announced, I had pre-purchased like 6,000 kilometers of road user charges. Actually, how much is the maximum you can buy? I don't think there is one. Oh, so you could basically pre-finance 100,000 kilometers if you want to. You can buy a lot of kilometers. I'd never hit the upper bound on it. I don't know. It, there might be an upper bound. So if you have a, a three-month reduction, then you would probably buy for the next years in advance. If you figure you're not going to get caught, right? So... As soon as the announcement came in, that started running through my head. Okay, how the hell are they going to deal with Ruck? Because I just bought a whole pile of Ruck. Do I get a rebate for the overpriced Ruck that I'm currently sitting on? Do I get a refund on that and then buy new Ruck? Or do I get like an interim license? Because you can get those two that sort of sit in the middle of an existing Ruck license. It all gets pretty complicated pretty fast. And how would you check in September, whether I am still using discount ruck. So you're a diesel driver and you're an economist, which uh, qualifies you, of course, to ask these questions. The prime minister obviously hadn't thought about that. She probably doesn't drive a diesel either. So you figured out that they hadn't done their homework. And what did you do then? Well, I put in an OIA request to New Zealand, uh, NZTA, to ask them what advice they had given or, uh, and any correspondence around it before the policy was announced. And did they answer straight away or did they do the usual delay tactics? It wasn't, uh, there wasn't any particular delay. It took them a little while, but there was a lot of correspondence. I'm looking at it here and it's, uh, I know I got a lot of stacks of paper and they've yep. all got four pages printed on them. There's a lot of emails that went back and forth, but the fun part is those emails started at uh, 3.56 p.m. on the Sunday before the Prime Minister made the announcement. So the email went out from, okay, they redacted all the names. I can see, because I never asked for the names and I really don't care, but you can see the whether it's from NZTA or whether it's from MOT or from the minister's office. You can see that part. But uh, there's a senior public servants communicating yeah. then on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. So the email goes out on Sunday afternoon at 3.56, urgent cabinet paper due tomorrow. Subject heading. That's going to be one of the worst emails you can get. Okay, you can imagine even worse ones as a civil servant, but you get that, oh, well, there goes the weekend, right? Because the government's going to do something stupid. They want to do it in a hurry. And all they were asking for at that point was what would the cost be of unwinding 
the last few years of road user charge and petrol excise increases. So presumably the ministers would have only made the decision on Sunday lunchtime or something like that. I've got no visibility into that. Maybe they decided it sometime earlier. I think we were starting to hear some rumors around the edges of it. That but it was only on Sunday that is, they informed the public service. It is only on Sunday afternoon that NZTA started having to work through, okay, uh, what's the cost of this going to be? Well, that's going to depend on how we run the thing. How the, Okay, what are going to be the basic contours of this policy? How do we do this? And uh, can we put some costings together? Oh, so, and they got a deadline because yeah, they yeah. needed to have everything ready for 11 a.m. the next morning, right? Yeah, so the cabinet paper is due at 11 a.m. and they had to have everything in place for that. So you see the emails that start going around. They come up with some preliminary numbers. They bounce them back off MOT. Did they sound panicky, by the way? Not as much as I would have been. Uh, they seemed a little bit frustrated at points, but um, it's just You would funny. expect, I mean, on a Sunday afternoon. Well, I think there's one email where it's say, okay, well, we'll reconvene on Monday morning rather than ruin everybody, the rest, what's left of everybody else's weekend. But these guys were, the last email on Sunday night went through, it was getting close to midnight. That okay. The last email came through from an official on just trying to figure out how the hell to do this thing. And when did they start again? Well, they were meant to have had a meeting on the Monday morning. There were no, they didn't provide any minutes from that or any notes from it. So I don't know whether it happened or not, but the first email back in the morning was after a little bit after nine. And they were continuing to work through the numbers and get it all set. They'd gotten further queries from the ministry or from the minister's office saying, okay, well, what are some like five big bullet points of what we should be thinking about in this? Like, okay, well, they start bouncing that around. There's obvious problems in how to apply this on diesel. We, we have to think through this. Uh, they were starting to talk about what uh, a rebate regime. So there, it was sounding like their initial thoughts on how to run this were, and like, it's not crazy, right? Everybody who has existing license, like I did, could go over, hand in their existing license, get a refund on the kilometers that they'd pre-purchased, and then put that either to either get that as cash in hand or get it towards your rebated license. But like that sounds nice in principle, but it would have required every single diesel owner in the country to queue up at somewhere to get their odometers checked. Because if you're going to get a rebate. Okay, maybe you'd run it where people take a picture of their odometer or something and send it in to get the rebate, but it's all pretty high trust models, right? Unless you're going in to get it all checked. And there's no feasible way of running every truck and car through or every diesel vehicle through somewhere to get the odometers checked in short order for those kinds of refunds. So which ministries were involved at the time? Oh, the Ministry of Transport, NZTA, and then the minister. Treasury as well? I didn't see any note of Treasury in any of those documents. Mm. Did they get their cabinet paper ready for 11 a.m.? They had their cabinet paper ready for 11 a.m. There's a lot of sort of caricature of the public sector. You go back to the old Roger Hall glide time sort of stuff. Well, everything's kind of flexible. It doesn't really matter when anything gets done. Maybe parts of the sec public sector are like that. Not the guys that had to, to work pretty hard on a Sunday afternoon to put up costings on something they hadn't to been told about before. Okay, so the whole thing goes to cabinet at 11. Yep. And cabinet meets for a few hours, and at 4 p.m. we have the Prime Minister now explaining this to the public, but yep. still lacking the details because they didn't have enough time to really come up with them. Yeah, so then afterwards they provided some further correspondence from when they were working out the details after the cabinet announcement, and 
one of the officials starts wondering, are we sure that, like, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, I could dig back to the OIA, and we've got actually got these all up on our website. They're also linked through on my newsroom column, so you can go and read this for yourself. You don't have to trust Crampton on this. You can go and read it for yourself, see all the officials' discussions. The annoying bit is that the OIA is not provided in any kind of temporal sequence. It's all just sliced up, so it's messy to go through. But you can see the timestamps. You just have to work through it. Anyway, one of the NZTA officials is asking, couldn't, couldn't we just do this as some kind of subsidy for diesel instead? It'd be a lot easier. There's just so many complications doing this through RUC. Um, and that doesn't sound crazy either. You'd have to be careful in how you do it because there's a lot of diesel that is not used for transport purposes. If the point of the policy is to provide a subsidy for road use, like it's still stupid, but you wouldn't necessarily want that applying to farm tractors and you wouldn't want it applying to diesel generators or diesel heaters. There's lots of other uses for like industrial use of diesel that the government might not have wanted to subsidize. So, but you could imagine a subsidy regime that ran through the fuel retailers, right? That for every liter that they retail, retail delivery of diesel, they would provide some subsidy back to those guys equivalent to the petrol excise discount and then mandate that it be passed through. Well, that would have made a lot more sense. Instead, we got this scheme well, announced by the Prime Minister after it, the Cabinet. Now, it could be that it actually is a lot more complicated than I'd thought, and this was just an official musing about something that could have worked better, and maybe it wouldn't have. But it's because they were backfilling the detail afterwards, right? So they'd the Prime Minister had already announced that they were going to be doing this around Ruck, so they're kind of locked in. Did they get everything backfilled afterwards? They, in a fashion, right? So <laughs> they are running the discount Ruck regime. You can go on right now and buy your road user charge license at a discount. And if you overpurchase, like if you buy more than you're going to use, maybe they'll catch you. And if they catch you, you know what happens to you? you have to pay the difference between the discount and the amount that you would have paid if you just waited until the time, right? So if I go on now and buy 50,000 kilometers worth of ruck, the worst that happens to me is that I pay the difference for what I would have paid anyway, right? So I, I guess I lose some of the time value of money, but in a high inflation environment, I'm not sure that matters at all. I am strictly better off if I go in and, like, I haven't done this, but I would be strictly better off if I went in and bought 50,000 kilometers. It's a punt, right? Hmm. At best, I get a massive discount. And this is something that the officials warned about, right? They said, well, it's hard to estimate some of the long-run costs on the system on this because it's going to be over a period of time. These things extend, and we don't quite know how much people are going to pre-purchase. If people respond to incentives, they might well do this, and especially if the penalty is just paying what they would have otherwise paid. Hmm. In times of national crisis, of course, with emergencies, it is nice to have a public service able to do this kind of ad hocery. Well, sure. Like, but this we... was not really that kind of moment because the war, as you pointed out, had been going for about three, four weeks. There were discussions about some fuel rebates. So what does it tell us about the government and how they operate? Like, if you think back to March 2020 and April 2020, of course you would have had officials pulling all-nighters. Like, there sure. was no alternative. They had to. It was actual crisis stuff. Here, they were asking officials on a Sunday afternoon in the face of zero crisis other than a drop in labor's polling numbers to work up the costings on a policy that is too stupid to implement. Like, they should have asked first, should we be doing this? How should we be thinking about it? What would the considerations be around this? What are the trade-offs? Are there other ways of achieving these kinds of, uh, the ends that we're trying to achieve here? No, they were just told, go cost this up and then tell us later some things we should be thinking about and then backfill the details. 
but the politics continued because we now have that scheme longer than initially announced. Yeah, they extended it for three months. Hopefully, they will not extend it further. There was some indication from the prime minister that there's going to be some cost of living payment that's going to be coming out around the time that they were planning on ending the excise rebate. So maybe that'll solve some of the politics of it. Like, it's all just dumb. You don't deal with inflation by either rebating road use charges or by giving a whole pile of money to people for the, to just fuel more inflation, right? The solutions around inflation are the Reserve Bank on the one side and the fiscal authority tightening up a bit on the other side. But still, hopefully they'll be able to pull back from it using that mechanism. It's dirty as all hell, but maybe they can still get out of it. Well, thank you for this piece of investigative journalism. Um, as you said, we have all the materials on our website. You can find the column on Newsroom. And on our website, of course. And uh, thank you very much. And let's hope that this doesn't become the norm for policymaking in this country. I worry it already is the norm. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thank you.